But we want to recap what has taken place there in the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is a significant uh, church. Um, we're going to, in fact, you know, everything begins in Jerusalem uh, with the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost and with the many that were saved on that day as a result of the preaching of the Apostle Peter. Uh, as we go through the book of Acts, there's quite a bit that takes place in Jerusalem, and Jeru the Jerusalem church gets quite a bit of attention. But when you come to the church, of, uh, the church at Antioch, there's going to be a shift, and the church at Antioch is going to become a hub. It's going to become a, a, a major uh, force uh, for what the Lord is going to do from uh, Acts 13 and forward. Um, we'll see the emergence of the Apostle Paul. In fact, in our text tonight from Acts 13, uh, without any warning, uh, Saul goes from Saul to Paul. I mean, like a blink of an eye, right in the middle of a thing. And he's never referred to as Saul again. It's just interesting. It's pow, there. Oh, he's Paul. Okay. It's interesting. Um, so let's look at this. Uh, the church at Antioch has much uh, to, uh, to teach us as far as uh, the life of a church. You just resonate with this wonderful uh, church and then how they were, how they came to be is quite the story. Uh, right here in verse 19 of chapter 11. So then those who were scattered, and we've made reference, that, that scattering was right there it is because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen. So remember that, you know, the, the, the martyrdom of Stephen is all the way back there in Acts chapter 7. And so there's, we're still dealing with the aftermath of what was taking place as a result of the fact that Stephen had been stoned to death. Uh, a significant uh, believer. He was a deacon. He was a defender of the faith. He was a preacher of the gospel and he was killed. You wonder, well, that, that would have shaken the church or perhaps even stopped the church from advancing. Uh, but we find out something different. The people, those who were scattered, uh, it, because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and their Cyprus and Antioch. And what were they doing? They were speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. This is, uh, this is spontaneous. This is just happening. There's not really a... Uh, uh, there's not, really not an apostolic thrust in this or an apostolic blessing on this. They're just, they're scattered and they go forth and they do what comes supernatural <laughs> to them, uh, supernaturally natural to them. And that is to share the gospel and to share their hope. Even when the chips are down, even when circumstances are against them, even when it would be easier to just stop and reflect. They, they move forward and they move out and they're still talking about Jesus. They're speaking to the Greeks 
And this is, this is before any formal or official or bold ministry to the Gentiles. We've seen some uh, instances where the Greeks hear and they receive. Cornelius is a great example of that. But there's going to be, there's going to be much more, and we'll, we'll get to that. The Bible says in verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. That's, a, that's the blessing of God. Yeah, that doesn't just take place. The, the hand of the Lord is not just with any group or any person. He is with these who were scattered here in this text. He is with those who gather together and demonstrate unity uh, and worship of God and, and a priority of magnifying Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them. And that's such a comforting statement in the midst of their trial. The hand of the Lord was with them. And not only that, I mean, the hand of the Lord being with you is really wonderful. But look at this. And a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And that's, uh, that's language that's typical of Luke. Luke will often talk about believing, turning, Settling into the Christian life. Believing, turning, settling into the Christian life. And so he says the news about them reached the ears. That's a literal translation there. They didn't just hear about it. it he says it re, this news reached their ears. The ears of the church at Jerusalem. And the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So Barnabas is connected with the apostolic band, but he's not an apostle. When he's described in the Bible, he's described not as his rank or position in the church. He's, he's described as who he was. He's a man full of faith. He's a man full of the Holy Spirit. I think Luke says he was a good man. Isn't that sweet? Just, that's just who he was. It wasn't about, wasn't about a title, wasn't about a, anything else. Barnabas is there. He's ready to go. He's ready to serve God. He's ready to meet the needs. He's, he's, a, he's a bringer together of people of like mind and faith. He's an encourager. That's who Barnabas is. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. And we see him. He's set off to Antioch. So he's going to travel north. And when he arrived, he witnessed the grace of God. And he rejoiced. Well, why wouldn't you? You know, if you're a believer and you... You have an opportunity to put your eyes on a situation, on a group of people who love Jesus. Um, why not rejoice when you see the grace of God exhibited in their lives uh, through their words, through their deeds, through their uh, common uh, love and the bond that they share in Jesus. So he, he rejoiced and he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So that's a that's a big deal. Remain true. Okay, you've received the good news. You have believed. You have turned to Christ now with a resolute heart. Resolve in your heart. Remain true to the Lord. Remain true. L listen, life doesn't get, it doesn't get better without the Lord. Okay? It's the life with the Lord is a blessing from the moment that we receive him to our dying day, life with the Lord is a blessing. 
And he says, remain true to the Lord. And here we have that description. He's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And then considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So we have two uh, verses here, one in 21 and then 24. They're right there almost together, but they're, they're speaking. I think verse 24 is speaking of the continual work of God and the continual blessing of God as numbers were brought to the Lord. So we have considerable numbers believing and turning to the Lord in 21. And then when Barnabas gets there and he brings his encouragement, we find more people, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So this church in Antioch is really taking shape and form and God is blessing and God is adding believers to the church in Antioch. And, and he, Barnabas, left for Tarsus to look for Saul. Now that's interesting. Bar- Barnabas, you know, he, ha- he has, no, there's no, he's, we don't have any record where he's re- trying, you know, receiving some kind of command from someone of higher rank. He's seeing a situation and says, I know a man who, who can be used by God in this place among these people. And he's thinking of Saul. So he goes to look for Saul. The literal language there in verse 25 is, uh, he, he just, he went to hunt him up. He didn't know where to find him. He just went to get Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And you think, well, close the book, end of story. Didn't, didn't God do a wonderful thing there in Antioch? But he's not through. It's, it's such a sweet uh, picture there of what, of the grace of God on people. And so we're in 13 verse 1. We, we needed to get the background again to catch the flavor of what was taking place there. Because God's about to do something again in this uh, church. There in verse 1, and we'll, read the, we'll just read the text. It's 12 verses. Now, there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers. Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Luke's given us a picture of where the church is at this point in time. There's a church. Considerable numbers are there. They've been added to the church. And then he, he says this church, uh, there, there are expressions of God's gifts in the church. And those gifts are prophets and teachers. And then he names... I believe there's five here named Barnabas and Simeon, who's called Niger, and then Lucius of Cyrene, and then Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Saul is part of this equation. Uh, so these are the five that we believe have more uh, speaking roles in the church. We, we know a considerable amount 
uh, concerning uh, Barnabas. Simeon, who was called Niger, we really don't know a lot about. We don't have a lot of background. Uh, when we, uh, people have often associated Simeon or Lucius with um, the one with, I think it was Simeon who uh, was made to carry the cross of Christ. Um, Luke uh, 23, 26. Oh, it was Simon. Okay. Simon of Cyrene. There it is in verse 26 of chapter 23. And Luke, when they had led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. So this is in Luke's gospel. And some have suggested that this uh, one of these, Lucius or Simeon, may have been Simon of Cyrene. We have no, there is no hard connection there. It's just maybe that we just don't know much about them. But we know they were in the church and they were, uh, they played a significant role. Now, Manan, now this is interesting. Uh, Manan, the, the name there means comfort or comforter. And the Bible tells us right here, it says, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. <laughs> what was that about? Well, the, the word there means courtier. So, Back then, uh, there's a, uh, if there's a child who is royalty, he might need some playmates. And they would bring in someone, a child that age, to be part of the royal court. And they would be a playmate. They would be someone this, they could pal around with. That's Manan. That's Manan. He... He was a, fo a foster brother to Herod Antipas. You remember Herod Antipas? He's the Herod in charge when John the Baptist is beheaded. Herod Antipas was part of the trial of Jesus. He's a, he's a dark character. And then there's Manan. Where's he? He's not in the palace. He's in the church. So there, right there, there's this contrast between Manan and Herod Antipas. And the Herods were uh, typically just ruthless. They were uh, just, I mean, whatever, uh, more wealth, uh, palace. Uh, pol they were political. They weren't so much religious. Uh, but anyway, that's Manan. And uh, Luke gives us that he had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So they knew each other, obviously, and had grown up together, and gone to school together and played together. And then there's Saul. Right there he is. And why is he there? He's there because, at least, you know, in part, because Barnabas went to look for him and thought he would be useful there. So those are the five. And you see this church, you just get this feeling and sense of uh, unity in this church at Antioch. And then verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas 
and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man uh, summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, there it is. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for time. And immediately a mist And a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So uh, the word of the Lord there, and much... Instruction there. Um, The title of the message is The Mission, The Work. Um, And our, you know, it's always good to uh, try to, you try to reduce the, the point of the message in one sentence. So we'll give it a try here tonight. Led by its leaders, the church takes action when God raises up men to spread the gospel. And we'll see that unfold in the text tonight. So let's look there. Verses 1 through 3, we see men set apart. So the first thing is set apart. So they're, they're set apart. There's, listen, we read two texts tonight, the one from Matthew 28 and one from Acts 2, that are general texts talking about our responsibility, each one of us as believers, to share the message of Jesus, okay? That's really important for us to, to feel that, to hear that, and, and to be obedient to that, to look for those opportunities to share Christ, to proclaim Christ, to witness 
to Jesus. This is a special uh, opportunity that God is going to reveal to the church there in Antioch. This is a watershed moment here in the whole book of Acts. This is a big deal. The first missionary journey is going to is coming out of this, and we'll see Paul go other places and return to Antioch. Antioch becomes this this hub of of Christian activity. So, what was taking place here? Well, we we get the setting. Luke gives us that in verse one. We have, these, uh, we have this church, the called out ones, and they're called out of the world and they're called together in the assembly. That's a big deal that they are together in the assembly. And then there are prophets and teachers. And that's what they do. The prophets uh, are foretelling, the teachers are teaching and instruct, instructing, and that's taking place. And verse 2 is really significant because this is the atmosphere in which God is speaking to them. And this should be the atmosphere of any congregation, any church, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, while they were worshiping, we could say. They're worshiping God, they're fasting. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, all we have is the Holy Spirit said. I don't know. Other than, was he speaking through one of the prophets or one of the teachers? I would think that. I mean, we don't have... We don't have any other description of really what was what was taking place there. But he says the Holy Spirit said set apart. There it is. When God when God moves, when God speaks, when God reveals the church responds and we see them responding. God is revealing. He says set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God has a special work for Barnabas and Saul. Now, what's really interesting here is Saul is what? He is a, he's an apostle, but Barnabas isn't. So, isn't that interesting? I like that. It's, it, God works. God works through people. And he is, he's going to work, he has worked through Barnabas. He's going to continue to work through Barnabas. He's going to work through Saul. And God has a work for them to do. He wants, you know, well, it's a, the gospel's already spread to Antioch. There's already a thriving church in Antioch. Is that the extent of what God wants to do? Well, obviously not. The, the Lord said to take the gospel to the remotest part of the earth. And God has, he continues to have more work, not only for, for them to do at that time, but he has more work for us to do in our day. So anyways, he says, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. So we have them setting the setting apart. We have 
the context in which it took place was the church. We have the atmosphere in which it took place. It was an atmosphere of worship. I don't see just five guys here together uh, doing this. I don't think they were just that group. I think this is the church, the context of the church. And they were worshiping. They were seeking the Lord. And the Holy Spirit gives this revelation of God's will for what should be done next. And they confirmed that because the Bible says then when they had fasted and prayed. So they're, they're in prayer and they're fasting and they're seeking God to make sure that this is, the, this is what they're hearing. And, and then what do they do? They solemnize. This call of God on Barnabas and on Saul by laying their hands on them. They laid their hands on them. Um, there, were, there were no apostles there. I mean, other than Saul. So the church, they're laying their hands on them. Why? Well, for blessing and to recognize that God had called them to a special work. That's why. They're close. And they want Saul, they want, I should say it in the order Luke gives it, Barnabas and Saul, they want the blessing on them. And then the Bible says they sent them away. They released them. And then verse four, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So in the first three verses, they're set apart. In verses four and five, they are sent forth or sent out. Set apart and sent out. So I think this is really neat because they're following, you know, there's a follow through on what God had done. They had been set apart for the work Now they're sent out to do the work. That makes sense. And they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, And they went down to Seleucia. Uh, Seleucia, they're they're on their way to Cyprus. And from what I gather, there's about 60 miles uh, between Antioch and Cyprus by way of Seleucia. Seleucia is the port. And so they go down to Seleucia and they're going to sail to Cyprus. Cyprus was, it's, uh, I think, the third largest island in the Mediterranean. It's about 140 miles long and 60 miles wide. And they, back then, they're exporting copper and wood. And they're a Roman uh, province. They have some kind of special status long about 22 BC of, of a Roman senatorial province and those would be governed by a proconsul. So Sergius Paulus is a, he's an official. He is a governmental official and he's really important. He's got a real important job. So the Bible says when they reached Salamis, so Salamis is on the east, uh, the eastern part of the island. And the Bible says when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. 
So, um, so here's what, here's what I think, um, when they were sent out, I think one thing that jumps out at me here is that there's no boundaries for the gospel. There's no boundaries. And they're going over land and they're going over sea or by sea and they're bringing the gospel. No boundaries. Uh, the next thing I see is that they're proclaiming the word of God. So they were sent out to spread the gospel, to proclaim the word of God. And that's what they're doing. That's beautiful. Uh, and then where are they proclaiming the word of God? They're proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And you think, well, I thought, I thought Paul was mainly going to the Gentiles. Well, in Romans, he says to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, but don't let this escape your notice. Yes, in the synagogues, mainly Jews in a synagogue, right? But there were always, listen, there were always God-fearing uh, Gentiles hanging around. They were, they, Gentiles would frequent a synagogue. They might not, um, you know, be full proselytes into Judaism, but they were God-fearers. So um, that could be a bridgehead uh, toward the Gentiles. And then this little, this little uh, part right here, this little phrase uh, there at the end of verse 5, and they also had John as their helper. That's sweet. You know, folks like uh, uh, these guys, Barnabas and uh, Saul, you know, they needed some help. They needed somebody to offer some relief from time to time. And it's good when you and I can offer help uh, to those who are, you know, they have a specific a duty, they have a specific call to proclaim the word and they have, they have John as their helper. We don't know what John was doing exactly, but he was there and he was a helper. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a magician. Now the whole island, we said it was 140 miles long, 60 miles wide. So here we are, 6 through 12, that third point, would be not only were they set apart, not only were they sent out, but they're going to be called uh, to stand firm. They have to stand firm for two reasons, I think. The first one is because of fatigue. Fatigue. The Bible says they went through the whole island. I mean... You didn't take a cab. I mean, it's 140 miles. That's from here to Indy about. They're, these guys are working. Um, I think they're, from a human perspective, tired. But I think the Lord strengthens and the Lord gives strength for the journey and all of that. But there are, they are called to stand firm in spite of the miles already traveled. I always like to think God's people are willing to go the extra mile. And from what I've seen uh, through the years, they are. God's people go the extra mile. 
You know, not thinking about themselves, thinking about what the Lord wants, thinking about blessing somebody else. They just go the extra mile. I think, I think that's uh, what we see with uh, Barnabas and, um, and Paul. So it says they got as far as Paphos, and that's on the uh, western part of the island, southwestern, I think. And there, <laughs> it just gets interesting because Luke gives us general, a general idea And then he drills down. He's going to go, okay, here's a specific incident I want you to see. He doesn't tell us about all the little things that happened, but he tells us about significant things. And this is one where we have some detail. The Bible says, lo and behold, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, and his name is Bar-Jesus. Where is he? Well, verse 7 says he's with the proconsul. And what we know about the proconsul is that his name is Sergius Paulus, and he's a man of intelligence, um, that he's, uh, he's thoughtful, that he, he, wants to, he wants to know. And I think what Bar-Jesus brings to the table and why he was with Sergius Paulus, uh, if you think about you know, Sergius Paulus is wanting, wanting to learn. He's wanting to find it. He probably wants to find out more about the Jews. And he's probably interested in some aspect of the supernatural. So Bar-Jesus there, Elymas, would fit both of those. He could tell, give him a little Jewish history. He could talk about the Jewish way of life, Jewish religion. He could also uh, talk about the supernatural. But he is a false prophet. So what's going to happen here? Because what we see here, you're going to have Sergius Paulus in the middle. And on one side, you have this magician. And on the other side, you've got Barnabas and Saul. And it's like these forces are coming together. And there's this one in the middle who needs rescued. He needs saved. So I wonder what happens. Well, Bible says that uh, this man, speaking of Sergius Paulus there in verse 7, the last part, this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So Sergius Paulus, he wants, he wants to hear the word of God. He summons Barnabas and Saul. But Elymas, the magician, For so his name is translated, was opposing them. So there's obvious opposition right here. So uh, Saul and and Barnabas, Barnabas and Saul are called to stand firm. They're not to retreat. Let's see what happens here. There's a man whose life, whose eternity is at stake. And so uh, this Elymas is opposing them. He's seeking, this is it. He's seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. My, my, my. Goodness. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, there it is, there's the transition. Diminutive Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and says, he puts forth some pretty strong words, doesn't he? He says, you are you who are full of all deceit and fraud. Now get this. He's not talking about Elymas. He's talking to Elymas. He says, you son of the devil. 
you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And then Paul's not done. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind. And don't you know, Paul knew what that was like to be blind. And, and, and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. I heard an old, old story. There it is. The victory. Verse 12. Then the proconsul believed. There it is. When he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. So they have to, they have to stand firm when, when there may be fatigue involved, just physical, uh, just t- uh, they're tired, they've been through the whole island. Um, they have to stand firm in, in the, when they're faced with opposition, and then there's the victory. There's victory. They don't stand firm for, for nothing. They're standing firm to magnify God and to glorify God, but there's a victory. And, and you know what's really neat here is, is this is one life, and we have it recorded. There's one life that was rescued, one life that was saved. And, uh, and it's, it's really important that you and I, as we, as we go and as we witness for the Lord, that we, we, we focus on those one, a life one at a time. One at a time. And, and that's the way God builds his church. And that's the way he populates heaven. Is one, one life at a time. So they were on a special mission. They were given a special assignment. They, Barnabas and Saul. Actually, from here on, it's Paul and Barnabas. It's not Barnabas and Saul. There's a, after this, there's like, a, he just kind of comes to the forefront. And I guess so, right? I mean, if you call down darkness on someone and, and uh, he can't see for a while, uh, you, you go first. So that's the, uh, that's the situation. And we'll, we'll see Paul leading the charge uh, into parts unknown uh, in the last part of the book of Acts. Father in heaven, thank you for the day and thank you for this evening. And my brothers and sisters, Lord, just bless each one tonight. Lord, give us good rest in you. Uh, Help our thoughts uh, to be upon you. And Lord, may your peace rule in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.